Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine walking into Staten Island, New York, and you show up. It's about 5 p.m., and there are about 90 people there. And you have to figure out who is the Wu here. From pleasing the Wu-Tang Clan to legendary stories about Tupac, Biggie, and Snoop, the iconic career of hip-hop's most influential photographer, Chi Modu, and how he did it. That story right now, I'm Steve Parker Jr. This is Parker on Tap. Chi, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Steve. Good to be here. Yeah, definitely. Well, I wish everyone could see your smile because you got you got one of those smiles that that light up a room and and it's always it just it sets this environment that's fun to be with you whenever whenever time is spent. Yep. yep. I mean, that's probably one of my greatest skills, actually, as a photographer is being able to relax people. You know, it, it makes the process a lot easier because it's not an easy process to be photographed. You know, if you really want to get a true photograph, you have to open yourself up, you know. Oh, well, that, I mean, that, that's why we all like, take like 42 <laughs> selfies before we find the one that we want to use, right? Exactly. And, and so imagine having to relax and allow someone else to interpret you. Right. I mean, you have to be comfortable with that person, you know. And so if that person comes with conflict, you're going to stiffen up. So you Absolutely. have to actually be able to relax people. So it's really part of it. And so I'm super excited to have you on here today to talk about some of those stories and, and how you think about photography in your career and, and what you've learned in this process so, but help me out here. It's 1991. Mm -hmm. uh, you're 21 years old. You've graduated from Rutgers with a degree in economics, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. one day you walk into the Source magazine, which is the, the Bible of hip hop. Mm -hmm. And you just say, let me take photos for you. I mean, you, you had no experience at that point, right? Well, 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 no, I had some experience, but not in the magazine world. I was doing some freelance pickup work at the Amsterdam News. Okay. You know, which is the oldest black newspaper in Harlem and right. in New York. Right. And so I was doing pictures there where just making $15 a photo and, and pretty much on the Al Sharpton beat. And so wherever he was, you know, okay. I was there with the camera, you know, he kept you, he and, kept you busy. He likes to be in front yeah, of the camera <laughs> in, in the early nineties for sure, you know, yep. for sure. But then um, did that for a while. And then that was when the source was actually starting to bubble up because the guys came down from Boston to New right. York. So we knew about it. Kevin Powell was there at the Amsterdam News at the time. And we mentioned, you know, people were talking about the source. And so I went down there and a bunch of young people, you know, on the, on the come up cocky, you know, but you kind of needed to be. So right. I understood that, you know, and so that didn't really push me back. I knew I had a skill that was needed and I knew in time people would figure it out. So, you know, at first you come in and you're sort of moving around the edges for a bit, but right. then eventually with the personality, the artist started to realize who you are. And then if you deliver with the content, then the deal gets closed and you go the rest of the way. That's kind of how it worked. Right. Well, so you talk about the story and I'm not surprised that it was, you know, you'd be a little bit cocky to, to get into that, to break in there. But if I go well, well, back. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, the people from the source were cocky. Oh, got so, it. So to be able to, so imagine you're showing up and you have to try to navigate that. 
you know, because think about these young people are putting out this magazine that's rocking the world. You right. know, what I mean, like nothing you've ever seen before, like with a lot of power. You know, like 21, 22, 23 year olds. You know, well, and, and very, and very a, different, and very different content too. Oh, like we've never seen. And so right. the energy was just kind of nuts. And I think for a lot of us now who were there, that are a little bit older now, like in retrospect, and my wife even mentioned it today, is like, yeah, a lot of young people had a lot of power. You know, really like nothing you've seen since, you know, and, and when a magazine really mattered, it could move the needle, Yeah. you know, and, and yeah. so and that that was sort of the voice for it. So, you know, once I got in there and then the artists started to recognize me and recognize that my camera could help them along the way, you know, so it became a little bit of a pact, you know, and then I became the guy. Got ultimately, it. You know? Well, and, you know, and there's something to be said for being young and and maybe, you know, whether it's naivete it's stupidity just not knowing better not having any rules and getting in and doing things because i did the same thing i took my first job at 21 and it happened to be like the beginning of the internet we're saying late 95 early 96 yep. and and no one knew what was right or wrong there were no rules so you could just do things they they the executives of this fortune 500 company thought those few 20 year old those of us that were 20 you know early 20s we're super smart because we could reply to an email, <laughs> you know, like we had a lot of power for no, no particular reason, but, but, okay. So take me back even further. Like, so when you talk about some of the, maybe some of the ambition that drove you to where you are, you were born in Nigeria, your mm -hmm, family moves mm -hmm. to New Jersey when you were young, like there had to be something in your upbringing that gave you that courage, the, you know, the aspiration to do what you did walking into those offices, you know, with those people that you said were, you know, look, they, they had some, some, um, um, like spunk to them that you had to navigate a little bit. Um, I think, I think what people aren't used to seeing a lot of times is when someone from the other side that grew up with a life of privilege, you know, and so I, I grew up pretty comfortably, like I was always safe, you know, comfortable home, well taken care of, well-educated parents, you know, and so in my family, my dad's a PhD in mathematics from University of Chicago. You know, like like my brother and sister are Princeton at the same time, and they're not twins. And so, wow. so that's that's throughout my whole family. So I was very familiar with that path. So it wasn't as hard for me to take a different path. You know, like if I was the first one in my family, like break the the ceiling, first one to go to college, be very different. You know, and so since I already saw that in a way it was almost like I was raised like a rich kid because rich has nothing to do with your bank account. You know, it's really about your comfort level, you know? And when you have that and you have the skin color, you're a lot more comfortable going into odd situations, right. you know, because it's an odd combination, you know, to, be, to have the privilege and also have the black skin, you know, and it, and it throws everyone off when they deal with you, you know, it confuses people. That's a really interesting perspective because, you know, you would almost, you know, and, and certainly, you know, I've talked about this. I mean, I've been to Africa many times and, and really enjoyed being on the continent in a lot of different countries, but, you know, a lot of Africa is very poor, right? And when people in the States, especially think of Africa, or if you said you're from Nigeria, their first thought's going to be, you know, he grew up in a hut without running water and probably had nothing and came over here on a, on a floating raft or something silly, right? I mean, like these crazy thoughts that we have when, when you haven't experienced or been to these places, but so you had a you had a a, a safe upbringing, but you took this path that was obviously sounds like very different than the rest of your family, 
And did, I mean, did that make them nervous? Did it make you nervous at all? Or, or, or was it something you were that, that drove you and they were encouraging you to do that? Um, well, I think I've done many interviews, you know, and some of them by Nigerian writers who have asked me like how kids, younger people, like how on earth did you get your parents to agree to you not being a doctor or lawyer or, or you know, on that <laughs> typical like immigrant child path, you know? And, and I say to them that children really direct their parents. You know, it, it, it's in the reverse order. You know, the kids think their parents dictate, but it's not really what it is. So ultimately, if you believe in something, you show conviction, your parents have no choice but to support you. And, and for me, I mean, a camera was so natural to me from the minute I touched it, it, it was pretty clear it was all I was going to do. You know? And so my parents had no choice but to support it. And, and I remember my dad, you know, said something to me pretty early in my career. He said, you might as well go for it because you have nowhere to fall. And, and it was really like a, a, a beautiful thing coming out of someone that was trained the way my father was trained, you know, because I mean, but he was a mathematician. So he used logic, you know, statistics. Right. Right, right. All so in a sense, like you might as well go for it. Like you're on the, you're in the middle of something here. Like, I don't know what it is, but it, it looks like it matters, you know? So stay well, you, right and there. You, and you probably projected your love for the direction you Absolutely. were going. Right. And, and obviously Absolutely. you're, you're, you're a father, I'm a father. I want nothing more than my kids. I don't care what they do. I really don't. And my, and you know, like my dad didn't either. He didn't care what I did. He just wanted me to give it like real effort. I mean, he, exactly that was right. one thing that wasn't acceptable is not to give effort. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it's, it's the same thing. I mean, but you know, it, it's funny because at the core of it is I wasn't a hip hop photographer. I'm a photographer. Right. You know, and sometimes I can get lost in it, you know, because I just happen to document hip hop photography because one, I like hip hop, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is I can tell a story with a camera, you know, and so I'm a documentarian in the end, you know, and so, right. so it started with that. And then, and that, and then once I moved into hip hop, I was already documenting, taking photographs, but I moved into hip hop when I saw it. And I Got saw it. that, all right people are scared of this. Let me double down. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and look, I, I would, I would love to get a little bit deeper into, into more of your photography here in just a bit too. Um, so, all right. So, so you're at the source. What mm -hmm. was your first assignment? Um, I think it was Puffy and um, Dio in Harlem. Uh, it was a fashion spread you know, behind the Apollo Theater, the one page, it was the beginning of the source putting fashion in the magazine, you know? And I think that was the Puffy first- Puffy was shoot. a good one for that. He, he's, he's always been into that. He, he loves being in front of the camera. Like he, if he could do that, that's all he would do probably. Right. You know, he, he enjoys it, you <laughs> yeah. know, clearly, right? So, right. but, but that, that was it. And then the first cover was um, Yo! MTV Raps. So, so like Ed, Ed Lover, like Ed Lover and yeah. Dr. Dre, and um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was the first cover. It was like a, I think I had two rolls of film with me, and a 35 millimeter camera on camera flash, oh, and wow. did that did on the <laughs> set. And that's why they like they took out the background, like with basically it was pre Photoshop. It was Photoshop one maybe at that time. So everything was done kind of manually, but they removed the background and put like a TV monitor kind of grid. You'll see, it. you can pull it up on the internet. Yeah, yeah. That course. was the first cover. And then I think followed by like Onyx and then LL Cool J. So I took it up a, 
Nice. Two notches real fast, you know. That's great. That one was average and the other two went up the ladder. Okay. Well, well, so on that first one, I mean, how are you feeling? Were you nervous? Were you worried, excited? I mean, and by the way, you had two rolls of film. You can't, I mean, you know, you need to get the shot right at that point. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, photography is kind of funny like that. You could always do it better. Always. It, it really doesn't matter what it is, you know? And so I can find some things it's more obvious how you can do it better. You know, some things like, like, I think that you can't really do a cover with the 35 millimeter on camera flash. You can sort of do it, but it's on a studio set. It's not really the best thing, you know? So um, it has its limits. But at that point, the people I'm working with don't really understand that part. They're just like, get a picture. <laughs> you know, we'll put it on the cover because it wasn't really that important Got it. to the magazine. So the magazine was then going to start to transition to, you know, a higher quality book. And Chris Calloway, who's the art director that came in right at the beginning when I arrived, like him and I ran together and established like that first, like next level tone, you know, the first Tupac cover, you know, Mary J. Blige on the ice chair, you know, yeah. that was all Chris's run, you know? Yeah, which are, I mean, you know, like that photo of Mary J. Blige is so, such an iconic, like crisp photo too. Yeah, it's four by five, you know? So, oh, yeah. so just to go, yeah, it's a four by five, the field camera. You know, so four inch by five inch transparency. Wow. Okay. So that's why there's so much detail, about five lights there, you know? Okay. So you compare that to on-camera flash for, the, right, for right. the one, you know? So so it's a, so the, the magazine sort of grew, you, you know, like to go from that to there by the end, October 94. Okay. You know, so, and, and so did the subscriber base. And so, but we, we kind of worked in a bit of a bubble, right? Because this thing was rocking the world, but you didn't really know it. You were just producing it and producing it. And then when you finally look up, then you realize, you know, it's like, and it takes years before you look up and realize. Well, and, and look, and while you were there, you structured your agreement with them that you would own all the rights to all your photography, right? And, and this is before really you knew what the, what the long tail of this would look like. Well, so I think- were, what, like, what were your thoughts about that? Well, copyright, you know, it is a very powerful thing, right? Mm -hmm. And and the reality is like in the music business, entertainment business, anything they see that has value, they get on the contract, period. You know, that, that's what it is. And so the reality is people didn't see value in the photographs. You know, it was an afterthought. They were important, but they weren't critical. But over the long haul, the pictures take over. You know, it's like, I don't, I haven't seen a James Dean movie. I've never seen a Marilyn Monroe movie, you know what I mean? But there are a couple of pictures of them that bring them right to my mind. That everyone you know, knows, what, what, everyone. It's just, what, it's just what it is, you know? And so so pictures are a longer game. And, and it's funny, I did an interview with BBC recently, about two weeks ago, they were here in my studio. And, and they were asking me about an article that ran with my photograph of Tupac in the source in 1994. And they were saying how the article seemed to be a disconnect from my pictures because my pictures were more gentle and the article's Hellraiser. And they go on and they talk a lot about Tupac's life. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, but articles are written in the moment. You know, pictures are here to stay. Yeah. So, so, so pictures are forever, you know? So I have a different standard. The words actually aren't really connected to the pictures when you do it right, you know? Because the words are dated, you know? And so it's a, it's a different kind of mentality. So in knowing that then, 
you know, and in creating pictures that are more classic iconic, a little bit less noise, I knew they'd have longer legs. So I knew that my money and value would come later. Yeah. Well, you had so vision. I, you had vision. 20 years later. Yeah. hundred <laughs> well, percent. And, 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 and speaking of those photographs, I mean, you, you've photographed so many, you know, well-known artists before they were known. I mean, Tupac Shakur, Biggie, Nas, Snoop, Mary J. Blige. We've already talked about a couple of them, you know, and, and you have stories about them all, but you told me once that, um, that, that Tupac was such a kind and, and good hearted individual. And you, you told me that he always showed up on time or he was early. He was always respectful. I mean, what should we know about Tupac that we don't? Because, you mean, know, like I, when you read those articles, some of them are Hellraiser, but I mean, you saw a different side to him. Yeah, I mean, but but also I tend to see, um, I, I, I tend to see a, a pure side of people, you know, because that's what I'm there for, you know? And so my my assessment of them is really about who they really are, not the branding, the packaging, actually the person, you know? And so for Pac, Pac was very loyal. You know, and, and it's funny, I posted a, a picture of him yesterday in his backyard with his arms in the air, you know, and the, the picture is unique because there aren't a whole lot of pictures that people have in Tupac's house in his backyard, mm -hmm. you know, because after the shoot, he said, Chi, come back to my house, you know, let's hang out, you know, and so we all went back to his house and, and hung out there, you know, and, and that was after coming on the second day after going home the first day doing equipment malfunction which has never happened to me before. And I'm in Atlanta. And so I had a complete setup flown to me overnight the next day. So I said to where are you gonna be? I'll fly where you are, Pac said, I'm still gonna be in Atlanta, I'll see you tomorrow. And he came tomorrow early again. And we that's knocked great. out the cover. And then after that, we went to his house. So that's Pac, you know? And, and he's very, very loyal to me, you know? And, and I think that he kind of knew what we could do together if he cooperated and it, it, in a funny way, like these pictures keep him here. You know, it almost doesn't really matter what the estate does, what the people say, because the pictures sort of keep this iconic figure going. Back to what I was saying about the power of photography. Right. And, and it's not just Tupac, I do it with, I do it with a lot of the other artists too. It's like, I kind of give them this other, I give people another perspective on the music. Well, do you, I mean, do you, when you're with them, do you, or in, in these instances where you were with these artists, I mean, were there certain, were there certain expectations that you had to define for them? So like, I, I'm, you know, I think communication is sort of where you win or lose in almost everything in life and setting those proper expectations for what you need from people or they need from you and vice versa. And, and resetting that on a consistent basis is really critical. But when you went into these, sessions with with these artists i mean did you have to set expectations for them in some way i mean it's it's funny like in in uh in the corporate world you know like 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 people people think that they have to deal with complex situations you know when they deal with like like uh org charts and people so imagine walking into staten island new york and you show up it's about 5 p.m., sun's down on a, so late fall, early winter, and you're looking for the Wu-Tang Clan, and you show up in 16U in the project, and there are about 90 people there, all in dark hoodies, all dudes, you know, and you have to figure out 
who is the Wu here? Because there's this group <laughs> that I need a picture of, right? You know, because they're the ones I need. But you can't tell all of them they have to leave because you're a guest, you know? So you have to work your way through, take some with everybody and work the crowd down till you see the picture behind me. Right. That's pretty much them, but there are like two still extra people there that aren't in the group. And oh, really? Dirty wasn't there that day. Yeah. And okay. so, but, and eventually, I got down to the five. So, so to be able to move from that 90 in the hood to the group, you know, and not offend those guys that grew up with them and feel like they're part of what made them and how are you going to ask them to get out of the photographs and still leave safely? Like that's the skill. Wow. And so, it's, so it's the skill, but also, so you're, so you're not having to actively say expectations to the others, but it's within yourself that you're defining how you're going to move through this environment and how you're going Absolutely. to handle the situation. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to just deal with it in real time. And, and it can come at you in all different ways, including weapons, all different ways. You know, Got think it. about the times we're talking about, you yeah. know, the streets are quite unsafe, you know, but you know, if I say to people all the time, like, I've been to pretty much every hood in the country unarmed, you know? And I've always come home safe because you're kind of safer unarmed because you're more alert. <laughs> you know, like a, like a lot of people would go in armed and drop their weapon and then you're stuck. <laughs> you know, so, so, so it's a different kind of mentality. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you have to know how to move, you know? And you're more respectful as well, right. you know? And, and people feel that, they feel the energy. You know, and so you end up being protected. And so, so it doesn't matter where you go. Well, and you give off good energy. I mean, having, having been with you and spent time with you, you do even, even now, like, and I know people can't see us talking, they can just hear us, but I can see you through, you know, through the, through the screen and, you know, I can feel that energy even now, just looking yep, at yep. you, feeling you, hearing you. Um, when, you know, you talked about the time when you were, when you were doing a lot of these photographs, it was a different time and some of these places were unsafe, but when you spent time with the artists, um, it really was a time that was unique. It was the true formation of hip hop as we know it today. You know, they all trusted you. You weren't just a photographer to them. And, and you mentioned that just before, but you actually built relationships. I mean, having Pac invite you back to his house as a relationship building experience, right? But because of that, I think that's, is this why you're able to capture these beautifully unexpected, serene moments with these names that we all know today as legends. I mean, tell me, tell me a little bit about that period and, and how you would build those relationships. Was it purely through just giving off this energy and, and being in those moments with them? Well, I mean, a lot of them, our backgrounds were different, but not really, you know, like I was just out of college, you know, they never went near a college, but I always knew they were smart as hell. You know? So, so I knew what I was dealing with and the level of intelligence, you know, so I came more, I was learning and teaching at the same time, but I was teaching what I was good at, you know, which is how to, how to project who you are and I'll capture it, you know, but the, the true who you are, not necessarily who you want to be, you know, but the true who you are. And after you do that, well, a couple of times, like people want you. And they start asking for you and they know, you know, and then, and then you move to that other status. But I mean, there are a lot of other photographs of a lot of these artists 
you know, and there's a, a little bit of a difference in mine, I think, you know, I mean, if I, if I hear what people are saying and, and I think it's a bit of a closeness, like they, they feel a connection to my subject. And, and I think that's because I have one, you know, and, and that's what you feel when you're looking through my point of view. Well, it's, approach, it's, like, it's approachable. It's relational, right? Like in, in, as we yeah. just talking about with relationships and the way you've built them. I mean, I think you have to, building relationships is so important and it has to be natural and authentic or it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And, and that means both parties have to be authentic. I'd like to remind everyone you're listening to Parker on Tap, a podcast where we have lively conversations with people you need to know. I'm your host, Steve Parker Jr. In this episode, we are talking photography, hip hop, and more with a cultural leader, photographer and documentarian, Chi Modu. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with others. Speaking of some of these photographs with some of these artists that you can really feel an emotion or relational feeling with them, you have these iconic photographs, right? Of, of Biggie overlooking the World Trade Center towers, of Nas, which I, I would assume is in his mama's house, sitting on his bed with a stuffed panda in the corner. You know, when he looked, he looked 16 in the photo. I don't know how you could, you could tell me after, but you know, Easy E and his 6'4 Impala in, in Compton, Snoop, I, I, which I can imagine he in this in these photos, he's skinnier, I think, than he is now, like in Long Beach before <laughs> people knew who he was. You know, Dre at his throne in the studio, right? And or Gangstar at the times at the time uh, cafe in New York City, and then the tribe, and it goes on and on and on. There's there's so many. Um, I mean, the, the whole portfolio is astounding, and we could talk about any of your any your any of your favorites shortly. But um, is is your work some of the most sought after photography on the planet? Do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I in time. You know, I think um, there's not really a corner of the globe that my pictures haven't touched. And that part's kind of wild. Yeah. You, you know, like, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything I could have done that could have achieved that level of saturation. You know, like, it's not a movie I could have made. Even if I'm a video director, that would, people forget the videos, you know? Yeah. But the still pictures stay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm in Borneo, you know, in Sarawak. And someone comes up to me in a bar, you know, I mean, off the coast of Malaysia, like you're Chimo Du, and 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 I'm not really that public. I show my face, I don't hide, but I push my pictures forward way more, you know. Right. But people research you eventually, you know, and they figure out what you look like. But but you know, the where these pictures have gone, it, it's pretty far and wide. And now I guess you know, with Sotheby's just did the auction um, in October, which was pretty successful. And, and they're, you know, they see where it's going, you know? And so, like I said, in time, like it's moving there now. You right. Know? And so, but yeah, it's people like them. People want them in their homes. Well, and you had mentioned you're much more than a photographer. You're a documentarian, storyteller, a cultural leader. I would say I, I, I'm not really joking, but saying like you're a living hip, you're the living library of hip hop, right? Which you can trademark that if you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're okay with that. Got it. <laughs> um, What's like, what's most important to you in your work, regardless if it's, you know, hip hop or all the other photography that you do that you also share on a separate account on Instagram? I mean, that, I, that I'm aware of. I mean, what's most important to you? Um, there's a line that runs through all my pictures, you know, and and it's it's 
that my subject, like they're, I'd say their eyes, but their eyes don't always have to be there. But when I say their eyes, it helps you understand it, you know, because the, the eyes are sort of the soul, you know, like the essence of that human being. Like you don't have to smile in my photograph, nor do you have to grimace. You can just be what it is, you know, and it's on me to make sure to press the shutter at the right time while you're being that person. You know, and so so it's my job is really about timing, allowing you to be who you are and pick the moments during that that you look right, you know, or your or your expression shows who you are. You know, so so it's about observation and then timing in the end. Like that's that's basically what I do. You know, I don't tell people what to do as much. Okay. You know? Well, I mean, what's your so what's your life and work like today in photography, film, digital media, you're involved in a lot of things. I mean, what's, what's going on? Like you, you can name it, whatever it is, but. Yeah, no, I like, I mean, I like the digital space a lot. I mean, I've, I'm pretty um, uh, into new things, obviously, you know, and, and, and I like the crypto art world, you know, I, I, I like that, the metaverse stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doubling down there. Like I, I believe, I mean, my world's a digital world. You know, and it's funny when you see the crypto art stuff, you see a lot of like bells and whistles, colors, all this stuff, you know, right? right? But, but you know, the blockchain is, is quite a thing for digital assets and a photograph's a digital asset. You know? So do you, do you, but speaking of that, do you, do you take payment in Bitcoin for your photography or no? Um, I, 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 yeah, why not? Ethereum, Bitcoin, <laughs> we can do that. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it could, it could, it could happen, you know, but yeah. what I'm, what I'm, I'm actually working on I mean, think about it. We have additions in photography. Right. I have a, I have a, and, and what makes an addition valuable is because it's authenticated. You know, so, so Biggie that sold for 30,000 at Sotheby's in October, you know, that's number three of an addition of seven. No, number, I think it was three or four, something like that, of an addition of seven, right? And so, so that was 30,000. Now, that, that's a 40 by 60 inch print. You know, C print, right? It's pretty big. Yeah, a guy in Singapore bought it actually, and he he, he sent me a picture of it. And you know, I told you that, right? So yeah, you but, did. But uh, yeah, Instagram. So um um, that is an addition authenticated by me. So number six is also an addition authenticated by me, and that could be just a digital file because it could be output authenticated for one locally blockchain is locked if you can do another one if you want but so what it's not authentic it's it's like a poster but this one is actually the value right you know and so think about that like it's a it, it opens up a lot of things you know of course you could buy the hard copy still if you want or you can buy the asset and hold it you might not ever actually have to have the product delivered you could trade it and it's held the same way gold works. But if someone does that, they can only use it once, right? It's not exactly. something they can't go print a thousand. No, because they're worthless. You know what I mean? It doesn't, uh, the thousand isn't worth the value. Like if the lab decides they want to print an extra one of my biggie prints, you know, right? Like they can't, it's just a print. It's like, that's a $300 item. Right. But with authentication, it's a $30,000 item. It's amazing. And, and going, you know, and so, so that's where, like, that's where my mind has been going as far as that. 
space. Like I, I, I believe in, like you said, like this work now is, is global, you know, and, and I've done a bit of a public branding over the past five years with all the global exhibitions and I'm categorizing the books, all the things I've been doing. So I've, I've raised the value of it and the recognition of it. So I don't really need brands as much to move it. Right. You know? And so, you know, the endorsement of Sotheby's was nice. That was cool. We'll take that. You know what I mean? But their secondary market, they only were able to do it because I already had an audience, <laughs> you know, in the end, right? And That's so, right. so now let's take charge of that audience. Well, you, and, you know, you just mentioned uncategorized and, and you've done these series of exhibits, not only here in the States, but overseas. I, I think the one of them I saw was in Finland, I think. Mm-hmm, correct. Mm-hmm, yep, I mean, yep. what's the tell, so tell me, what's the purpose of uncategorized? What's that all about? Um, the uncategorized was kicked off in 20, end of 2013. And the idea was take the art to the people like I, I don't wait, I go, you know, and so um, people didn't really know who I was, even though I had all these pictures. This was pre-Instagram, pre-all these things, you know, before it took off. And so I was walking around in New York and I saw a billboard. I looked at it, said, I need one of those. You know, so I called the billboard company. They said, uh, who are you? I said, I'm Chimo Du, I want a billboard. How much are they? <laughs> so they said, they said, oh, we don't really sell, are you a company? I said, no, I'm a photographer. And they said, okay, well, uh, we do some stuff with photographers. And once people hear my name, they Google it. You know, and so they, oh, why don't you come in and talk to us? I went and talked to them. 15 minutes later, I had five billboards in New York. Oh, wow. And, and, and so, so, and all I did, I put a picture up. I put the word on categorized, my signature in the corner on categorized.com. And, and the idea was taking the art to the people. And so when you went to the website, that's all I talked about. And it wasn't to be hired because I then made myself priceless. You can't hire me anymore for photo shoots. You know, and so it was a it was a strategic move. I said, I'm going to take my space, you know, and, and let's see where that goes. And so and and from there, the museum in Finland saw the billboards, heard about it, gave me a career retrospective, 800 square meter um, solo exhibition, so 8,000 square feet solo exhibition. You know, that that just like rocked the country, you know, in a way, in a unique way, you know, and. You know, and then I, I saw Instagram right around 2014, 15. Like, I, I knew I could do that, you know, and because I, I already had digital files. Because after the source, I wasn't in demand for about a decade, but I licensed photography. So I already had digital files that I was licensing. So when Instagram came up, a lot of photographers don't have digital files. I mean, I had 3,000 scanned, tagged files. Oh, that wow. I can pull from. So I can put up a picture a day, you know, pretty much five days a week. I did it for like three years for a while and was getting like a thousand followers a week. Just kept going, thousand, about four years, thousand followers a week. And so, and that, and I just pretty much, I put the photographs up and I said, no, no watermark ever, you know? And I said, I'm going to, I was going to do a, what I call public watermark, where I'm going to do what, what, the market says today. My generation was very defensive. Don't touch it, don't go near it. Only put small thumbnails, right? But today, if you do that, it's like you were never here. Right. So if you release it, you know, you get a different kind of support. So what happens is the public, if they see my picture being used untagged, they police it. They say, you know, this is Chimo Dudes, they tag me in it. 
And I've, I sent you, I've sent you one before. <laughs> people do it all the time, you know. It's yeah. wild, you know. And so, and in a way, I think it's people are kind of grateful that I'm so giving with this work, you know. And so it ends up, it's a weird kind of flip, you know, because you end up getting a lot of protection from it. I was going to say your community wants to protect you at that point. And, and I exactly. feel part of that. So when I've, when I've seen a photo that, that I'm pretty sure is yours, cause I've, I've seen it on, I know that you don't post things that aren't yours yep, and I've seen yep. it somewhere else and you're not tagged in it. I, I've shot it to you before. Like, just so you're aware, just in case, like yep, yep, I'm sure yep. someone's not using this in some other means they shouldn't. Yep. And so, so that part, that part is good. Like, but this whole, when I was talking about the metaverse, like what I'm up to, like what I've really been doing and, and including certain court cases that I'm still in that are going to run their course, you know, ultimately, is um, really bringing clarity to the federal right of copyright. You know, it, it's, it's really a very important right, you know, and, and it was created for one purpose. A lot of people think copyright is created for the person that they're protecting the copyrights, but in fact, copyright is really a gift to the public. And because once copyright expires, the, the creation enters the public domain. And that's the whole point of it. Like they wanna give control to the creator for a period of time over the, the works, give them certain exclusive rights so that eventually the public can have it, you know? And so these Tupac photographs that I have, I have copyright to them for my life plus 70 years. Oh, wow. But then, but then after that, then it's public domain, Got you know, do, do your thing, you know? And so basically the, the issue that the challenge people have sometimes is coming to terms with the fact that copyright is so powerful, you know, because, you know, you hear about the right of publicity, which is, uh, and, and which people call like name and likeness rights, you know, hear people say mm -hmm. name and likeness rights, right? And so like people confuse that because that's a state right. It's not a federal right, you know? And what right of publicity about is really false endorsement. So I can't take a picture of you, Steve, and say, buy this Heineken. Because now I'm, um, it's false endorsement. You didn't say that, you know? But if I take a photograph of you, I'm the copyright owner of that photograph. And I have certain exclusive rights that I'm allowed with that. And so that's a, that's a new thing for a lot of people to get used to because a lot of folks have backed down when challenged, you know? But it, it's, um, the beauty of it is the CBSs, the Sonys, the Viacoms, the NFLs, like they can't afford for copyrights to be chiseled away at. So when you, when you start to challenge copyright, as things go up the ladder, the big boys swoop in. So, so it's nice to be protected by that right. I was going to say, well, they, they help protect that right. Ultimately, because, you know, you can't have, you can't have precedent. So, so when it comes down to it, and, and everyone has access to copyright. It, it doesn't require registration. It requires creation. It, you know what I mean? Like registration just adds some legal protection, but upon creation, you are it, you know? And there aren't really many things in the court system that are as powerful as that, you know, punishable with jail, ultimately, as a relief. That's, you know, think about that. Like, that's heavy duty. That is heavy duty. Right? Yeah, it's heavy duty. So, so that's the other thing I have. And what that allows someone like me to do that has all these photographs that everyone loves is put them out in the world in different formats to match the audience. If you can buy a t-shirt, that's all you can afford. You should be able to access it. 
a poster, you should access it. A skateboard, you know, yes, if you want a high-end photograph, no problem. Limited edition, you know, but I should be able to reach everyone globally. And you do a and you do a great job with that. I mean, even in in fact, like with with Tupac, you put out going back to uncategorized a bit. You published a book a few years ago called Tupac Shakur Uncategorized. Yep, it's this compilation of all these candid photos, but that you took between your first meeting with Tupac all the way up until just right before his death, actually. Yep. And and you know I'm a huge fan, and my name's in the book, which I love because I feel part of history now. <laughs> you know, I just play it proudly. Great. That's great um, stuff. But you know, so out of all the artists that you spent time with why Tupac I mean do you do you think there's some sort of is there an impact do you think that Tupac specifically even in his brief short life had on culture that's still alive and well today that most others never achieved oh yeah I mean I mean and it's clear you know I mean he's uh, I think so as well. yeah it's clear I mean and and even people that don't like him can't really challenge that fact it's like you know because there and it just happens in certain genres certain not even genres, certain generations, you know, like have certain icons that, that come out of them. You know, I mean, the, the, the thing I was talking about on BBC, it's a series of certain iconic figures. And one of them is Lenin, the other one's Ali, and they have a number of others, but one of them is Tupac, you know? So, so he's up there. You know, and, and I don't like when people say he transcends hip hop because that's that's belittling hip hop. You know, I mean, I, I prefer if they look at it like he was born of it, you know, even though he's this person that has hit all these other heights and is like Bob Marley or James Dean or Marilyn Monroe level of icon, you know, and, and you could argue even larger as time will play out because of all the technology and where things are today, you know, and so. I think um, um, having the photographs and creating the photographs of that icon is pretty cool. You know, it, it's like, it's, and, and it, it, there's always a demand for it. Like, it just, it is what it is. You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't go away. And, and that part's kind of like, almost like he knew it, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's almost like he planned the whole thing, you know? It's, it's, a, it's crazy, you know, because, well, it's well, and, and, and there, there's people out there that still think he's alive and he's still planning it. So I, I get asked all the time, you know. I know. But I, but but that but but the book of Pac, um, I I did it. I, I did a book of Pac for a real specific reason. Like I couldn't find a photo book of a black artist like that, a coffee table book. I haven't seen one. And I, and I can find the U2 one. I can find a lot of these other artists that have these cocktails. And I thought, well, damn, is this the first one, you know, that has ever been done? Like, is there a Bob Marley one? Is there an Ella Fitzgerald one? I don't know, you know, but I looked, I didn't see him. So I was like, all right, we need one here, right? And this is the one guy that could carry this, you know, well, out of the it, whole hip hop. And, it, look, and, it's, and it's, you know, it's a beautiful book too, because it, it, it lets you see inside of who this human being was. There you go. In there a very natural, in a, in a lot of really natural settings, right? Not not just at concerts or something, like like in really yes. natural settings. Yes. And, 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 you know, it's funny, that book was made in America, you know, Meridian Printing out of Rhode Island, you know, so, so I, which I was very conscious of, you know, like I, I was like, look, I have to do this here, 
you know, right? And that's cuckoo, right? Coming from someone like me, but I, I just felt like it was right, you know? And I'll go back to them again. They do like Yale Museum, like they do Avedon books, they do high-end stuff, you know? They did a, a great job on that book, you know? I revisited, but I wanted to do it right, you know? And I self-published it and it wasn't a cheap book. And, I, and even the, the selling price, what I sold it for was low because I knew I was trying to introduce a public to this. You know, like this generation to, okay, this is the start of our coffee table book journey. Yeah, no, look, it's very, I mean, you've, you've always done a good job at that. And you, and you mentioned it earlier where you take, you know, what you own and have copyright to. And look, if you want to buy a $30,000 print, by all means, like, hey, do it. By the way, everyone go buy a $30,000 print from Chief. You won't, you won't <laughs> regret it. But, um, but, but the other thing is like, you can, you can buy uh, a sweatshirt or a hoodie or a t-shirt or a skateboard or a snowboard postcard, postcard. Yeah, greeting like, card. Yeah. You want to, you want to spend a couple bucks. You can get you a postcard. Like absolutely. Right. you make your art accessible. And I love that about you. Absolutely. Right. And because it's supposed to be, you know, and that's also why I don't watermark my pictures. You know, I don't want to put myself between the subject and the viewer. You know, like, and a, a lot of photographers feel they belong there. I don't feel like I belong there. I'm uncomfortable there. <laughs> you know, we're like, I kind of would rather stand to the side, even though I'm the creator of it. Like, that's just my preference, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's fantastic. I have to ask you, if you're willing, a couple of just real brief stories. And I'll just say their names and you can just answer whatever you want. Yep. Okay. Biggie Smalls, the notorious B.I.G. <laughs> Biggie. Um, good friend, you know, like, uh, um, I once had Biggie show up for a fashion shoot <laughs> for traffic jeans. You know, this is before his album came out, you know, right. I needed someone. I told his clothing company, I got his friend Biggie and, and Biggie actually came, you know, but they weren't all sorted out with the clothing. And so it's like, oh, big, sorry, we'll do it another day, you know? And when I needed to do it again, he was out of town. So I replaced Biggie with Tyson Beckford, you know, the polo model. Okay, yeah, yeah, so this is yeah, yeah. before the polo run. <laughs> so right. I replaced Biggie with Tyson. And it's actually, you can find this ad of, of Tyson Beckford. And Biggie was actually supposed to be there. So, so that was big, you know, like, like very, um, you know, I could call him on my cell phone. You know, he, he was, he came through the source. He was one of us, you know. So, um, um, and I didn't do Biggie's albums because... Biggie was on Bad Boy, and I didn't really, I wasn't in the Bad Boy camp, you know? But when it came time to do Junior Mafia album, Big was their executive producer. Nice. So that's why I did the Junior Mafia album. Awesome. That's great. You <laughs> see how it works, right? The music All right. Stuff, so, you know? so, so the next one, uh, Method Man. Um, I, Meth, I did, um, I didn't do the Wu-Tang album art, you know? But Meth and I hit it off just from when I would go out to, to Staten Island and we, and when it came time to do his album on Def Jam, he's like, you know, I want Chi, you know? And he was the only one out of the Wu that did that, actually. That's awesome. And you see, and I was in Staten Island with them, so I know them, right? right but right. he was the one that made sure of it. So he always has a place in my heart. Well, that's great. It's, it's nice when you've built a relationship like that and someone will reach out and say, I want this person, you know? Yeah, it's, a, it, it, it's the only, those are the only jobs I got was the ones that went that way. When the yeah. artist said the album work, you know, Snoop about, did the same thing. That's awesome. What about um, Russell Jones, aka Old Dirty Bastard? <laughs> I, you know, I like Dirty. Like, 
he was he was actually a pretty like sweet kind of dude and i think people kind of sense that even between his craziness he was actually a pretty gentle cat no he it's you funny know? because because even in the photos of him he doesn't look like this dangerous or bad person he looks <laughs> like you could let him watch your kids I mean, I mean, he was a little he, 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 he was a crazy, crazy player, but he was crazy, but, but he, he wasn't was, going to hurt I, anyone. No, exactly right. right. <laughs> exactly right. That was absolutely right. Like he, like, like nonviolent, actually, mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to that extreme. Like he's not the guy with the weapons. That's not that wasn't him, you know. And for for him, you know, he wouldn't really show up to stuff a lot of times. But that was his personality, in a way. That's part of his brand, you know. But I. In retrospect, I think his genius is something that that is it's really pretty shocking if you, you know I mean? that dude was a genius. You know? And you have to be able to pull back and understand that. Just even his whole style, how we change it, even old dirty bastard as a name, it's like it's like oh, wow, everything like, everything about him was the antithesis of whatever now everyone else is doing. <laughs> exactly right and that was his brand position and it really i mean you still hear his voice now all these years later you're like wow you you know the song mariah you're like wow okay mm -hmm. so so that part of part of that that's the stuff that always like still like amazes me about some of these guys that i've seen over the years and ladies you know it's Absolutely. like you know it's like holy cow you, you know what i mean like you know it's like okay impressive impressive what about uh what about nas um a thinker you know nas a thinker he always takes in the room around him does not seem happy to me i think he seems happy he's getting happier maybe you know and what i mean by that is that um sometimes the life is rough the way these guys grow up you know, like it, it's not just being from the hood in Queensbridge, but even that fame life, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not easy. When it happens, you know, it happens early too, right? I mean, they're oh still really God. young when these things are happening. It, it's, and, and think about it. This is since this man has been 18 years old, he's been Nas, you know, and what's he in his mid to late forties now? Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that's a crazy concept. You know, like I was talking to someone about Dr. Dre and they were saying something that's like, Dr. Dre has been rich since he was 17. Yeah. Like, you know, he's been able to buy whatever car he's wanted right. since he was 17. Like, think about that. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, he's has all this money now from the beats, but he was like same wealth proportionately at 17. He was rich as hell then too. You know, it's like, that's a wild concept. That is a wild concept. Well, what about, you know, speak, speaking of Dre, you know, what about, what about Ice Cube? Um, <laughs> I, I like Cube, you know, he, he's a, I mean, I look at his career and I'm, that, that blows me away, you know, but, but Cube is, he's reliable. He was reliable. You can count on him. You know, he's going to show up. He wasn't going to leave you hanging. Like if Cube posts a photograph of mine, he'll credit me. That's awesome. You, you know, so he, he's respectful. You know what I mean? And, and and I don't talk to Cube that often, but I've also been in the Mondrial Hotel room with Cube and a backdrop setting for three hours shooting portraits of him. Two hours, just me and Cube. You know what I mean? So so we and he came by himself. 
you know so so that so the black and white sessions that was yeah, yeah, cover the swords a headshot that was me oh, and him. i love those you know so yeah i rented a room there i had a room but i rented one and i set up the the backdrop there and did it and he showed up in the car parked in the valet and came upstairs so it was that hip-hop you could do that you know and and it was cool we talked you know just one-on-one it's like oh you done yeah all right chief see you later all right see you uh, and then it went on national magazine and went out to the world like like it's a it's crazy. There was no stylist. There was a makeup there. It was just me and Q. It just showed up. <laughs> That's it. It's me and Q in the, well, the clothing he had on. <laughs> you know, look, and we could do this for days. I'll just ask you one more, um, just because I, I, you know, it's it's always fun to see these photographs of him when he's so young. But Snoop, Snoop was um because he's like, and the reason I ask you him last too is. I mean, he's still like, well, just like, just like Ice Cube. I mean, he's still so active today in the things that he's doing. Yeah, big time. Big time. I mean, he was, uh, he was always pretty cool to me. I was like, like from the minute I saw dude, I was like, like, cool. I mean, to everybody, you know, like, we saw Snoop, like, yo, this cat is cool. Like, that's just, that's what he, and he actually was, y- you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't an act, you know? And if you spent time around him as I did back then, you got to see sort of where that came from, you know, because he was in the mix, you know? So he wasn't easily excitable, if you can understand what I mean. This is nature mm-hmm. of being in the streets at that age and, and in the gang life in that young age, you know? And so, you know, I caught him when he was one foot in, one foot out. That's when the music started to go, but he's still one foot in, you know? So. That's why all those guns are in all those pictures. Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't for show. They were definitely he part really of, he really carried them with him. Absolutely. It was, yeah, they were necessary and they were loaded. It wasn't like they were ready, you know. And and, and I've seen them pulled out, not used, but pulled out. So they, that was the streets of LA. And, and it's funny that when you go through something with artists at that level and you're not from their world, but you go through it with them, there's a respect they have for you after you know like if you don't yeah. panic and either kind of works out they're sort of like but i mean in real time when things happen so fast you have no choice but to just react and just be there and kind of flow with it but you know it's when i see this guy now all over tv martha stewart lee iacocca commercials back with the crisis stuff back Absolutely. in the day you know I, I watched the whole career and and you see the version that i knew you know and spent time around but you know he was at my exhibition in la in 2018 and he actually DJed, was with Adidas, and it was a pretty that's nice awesome. show. He did. Know? That's and good. That's so great. He, yeah, he came. We got to, and so we got to first time we on a panel together. Him and I talking about the the times, you know, and and there's the, there's a mutual. Well, I mean, you're respect. probably you're probably one of the only people that you know at, at that stage was really around him to see him the way he was then, right? I absolutely. Mean, so early yeah, on. Absolutely right. And, and he knows it. He remembers. And you know, the the the, the thing that I say to my to my wife and we're talking about today it's like pictures stay like pictures stay that's just what it is you know like i don't call my next book that like pictures stay like we leave you know but pictures stay yeah we definitely will leave we all do well you know chi listen I, I encourage everyone to look up your website it's chi modu it's c-h-i-m-o-d-u.com you can also find him on instagram and when you do, you can thank me later. Um, listen, Chi, it's it's always a pleasure talking with you, and and uh, I can't wait to see you again in person. But but thank you, you always inspire me. This yes, conversation's inspired me. I don't know that I've ever told you this, but 
you also inspired me before I knew you. How? It, what, because your images of these artists that I loved so much and used to love singing to a lot, not so much in front of my parents. I wasn't supposed to have the lyrics, but, but some these images of these artists I love that I can remember from when I was in my teens, when I was that skinny country, little white kid mowing the grass and this music just spoke to me. And when I would see the photographs, they were yours. And I, and I had, yeah. didn't know who you were then and didn't really know who you were until 2005, right? right, right but then right, right. when we met and we started having these conversations and I realized that that's what spun my head. I'm like, you know, here's this person that made these iconic moments that I just have burnt into my memory. And, um, and, that's, that's and, and that, is, so that, that inspires me. It's the power of photography. You know, and, and the part of that that I like the most is you wouldn't have known that unless I told you. It would have just been the photographs, you know, and that's mm -hmm. cool. It's like, so I can, I can show up where I choose, but the pictures are still there. Absolutely. No matter what, you know, so that's the power of photography. Well, I still, you know, I, I still to this day, I still have a lot of these albums. I still sing to them. Um, not in front of the kids. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're 10 and 12. They can't, they, I can't quite expose them yet, but, but listen, man, you and I are due for uh, for drinks soon on my, my tab. And um, listen, man, I appreciate you. All right, man. I'll see you, Steve. All right. Thanks, Chief. Right, peace, brother. Yeah, thanks. Bye -bye. Wow. That was such a great conversation with Chi Modu. If you didn't know Chi before, you'll be amazed when you look up his work. Here's my most important takeaway from our conversation. First, Chi's depth of knowledge on copyright was astounding and educational. And then second, his story about being a guest of the Wu-Tang Clan in their neighborhood was certainly worth the time. If you appreciated this podcast, share the love with a friend, or better yet, on social, support content, support artists. Thanks for listening, and feel free to reach out at parkerontap.com. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast